0: hey everybody on this episode of clinically Press, we get the gang back together as you'll see from the intro we got everybody back with kyle and aj calling in on this one Uh, and we're covering um, nutrition and nutrition when specifically it comes to competitive athletes and some of the major pitfalls uh, that we see uh, with that and again while we're kind of focused on the competitive mainly collegiate athlete and around that uh, there is a lot that can be applied to absolutely everybody and we see this a lot especially Um, with just general nutrition and um, whatnot, but we will also be following up with an episode on that, so stay tuned coming up in the future. Um, Also, there will be a couple addendums to this one. We'll have a quick, kind of brief short on creatine coming out shortly thereafter, and also a follow-up that AJ shot about eating on off days and things like that, which we did not get to in this episode, so be sure to stay tuned. Those will be out just a few days after this episode, Um, has gone live. So please make sure you're checking back on YouTube or your favorite podcast um, app for that. Hope you enjoy the episode. all right there we go. We are officially live so you guys want me to bring this one in do it yeah all right uh welcome to this episode of clinically pressed uh we officially have the gang back together again uh we got coming from north Cooley region with dr kyle um and then down in the balmy balmy south that we finally caught up to it uh we got aj aj is back for another episode so we're excited about that and because we've got AJ back, we are going to focus on nutrition, um, specifically uh, what we're deeming the competitive, in quotes, um, athlete. And all we mean by that is we're looking at um, the high-level high school, college, semi-pro, and above um athlete that's training six days a week you know all year round to try and achieve their goal um not taking away from anything from anybody else but we also do an episode following up that so we just wanted to make sure we kind of got that out in the open um before we did that so yeah there's the intro all right you guys
1: i like it feels good to be back again it's been a long time oh yeah Good to have you back man jeez We'll have to cover that absence in another episode as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds fair.
1: I, I didn't go on a year-long nomad trip. So. <laughs> you seem
0: very zenned out, though. Yeah, I, mean. I, I wish it was that kind of
1: a cool story. <laughs> right. I, I went and found myself.
0: <laughs> drinking yak tea with yak butter or whatever it is that some of those people do. Right. Anywho, so um, oh, go ahead, Kyle.
2: I just I, I could see him doing that eventually, maybe after the girls are grown there you there go you know, I'll put it on the bucket list.
0: maybe that's a retreat with palm and pine yoga shout out cat Soper.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway so the I'm not gonna lie that the, a lot of this episode is me asking questions of, of both of you but A j since. Um, you had moved down to Lindenwood and my nutritional guru, um, has left, um, UWL and just some of the things that I've kind of run across and, you know, tried to figure out, but, you know, I used to lean on you heavily for, and, um, just trying to figure out what's the best options we can get for these type of athletes, not so much in like food selections, but, you know, figuring out needs and, you know, just the recommendations and what you've picked up. You know, in the time that you've been down at Lindenwood, big research institution, especially on nutrition, um, where you're at uh, with the colleague of yours. So, um, kind of just starting it off, like we had so much success, and it's still referenced by coaches and whatnot with the calculation of energy needs and how the best way to do that is, especially given, you know, what people's access might be or not be to the technology that they would want to use to get accurate, mm-hmm. well, the most accurate results. Yeah, and that's
1: it's really a big thing to look at first because uh, pretty much across the board, most athletes training at that level are under eating to some degree, even though they think, oh, yeah, I, I eat a lot. Again, what they're perceiving isn't necessarily a lot in terms of what they actually need based on their Metabolic requirements from their level of training. So like you said you got to have some way to to try to assess what their daily energy needs actually are and Unless you have access to a metabolic cart and can actually kind of get a good baseline measurement of their resting metabolic rate and then tack on Training and everything on top of that it, it can be pretty difficult to even know where to start so there are Prediction equations out there that you can kind of estimate what their metabolic or resting metabolic rate might be But as some of the research that we even kind of published out of some of the work We did the last couple of years at EWL, you know We found that it was it was pretty scattered all over the place in terms of those prediction equations
0: Remind you know, me was it like from three to up to like 17% for whatever reason I've got that in my head. Yeah I saw that in like the subversity uh, Kind of rehash Yeah, they wrote a nice recap on
1: it and you know what that meant from a calorie standpoint is some of them, some of them were pretty close within you know 30 to 50 calories on average but some were off up to 400, 500 calories depending on which equation you use. And the other caveat to some of them, so I'll even start with one of the ones that's generally a little bit more accurate in athletes is the Cunningham equation and it takes into consideration their their fat-free mass or the amount of muscle that ha- they have and athletes tend to have just more compared to general population. So that, that calculation factors that in and is oftentimes more accurate in its ability to predict resting metabolic rate with athletes. But the problem is you have to be able to measure body fat percent, again, with a relative degree of accuracy, which if you don't have a medical, metabolic cart, you might not also have an accurate way to assess body fat percent either. Um, so in that case you might have to rely on some of the other just body weight based prediction equations and those They're kind of all over the place the De- De Lorenzo one is one that's published in that article that was okay. We're actually uh, Proposing a new one that we've created out of that athlete pool at EWL that Hopefully will nice. be published sometime this summer and ours again is a body weight specific one as well so all you need is the body weight of that individual And you should be able to get you know a fairly good estimation of their the resting metabolic rate but like one of the problems that you just mentioned of that female she's a thrower
0: right yeah just someone that's got some excess body weight that isn't lean And, and see that's the problem is is what i've kind of found is
1: the body weight specific equations are okay unless they're a little bit overweight or they have their body fat percent is higher, then I think it overinflates their actual metabolic needs So I think a good correction for that is to go back and find a lean body mass uh, Specific equation and base it off of the uh-huh. amount of lean body mass that they have not just overall body weight um, But again it you're still gonna have to try to get a way to, to estimate body fat percent whether it's a bod cod or a skin fold or something uh, to just even be able to use one of those equations, but That at least puts you in the right ballpark. And then generally, again, an athlete training, let's say an average of two hours a day, six days a week-ish, their uh, activity factor that you're gonna multiply their their resting metabolic rate by is probably gonna be at least 1.9 upwards to 2.2. It may be even as high as 2.4 on a really, really high volume block so that means you're taking the resting metabolic rate and on average probably at least doubling it. And that will, again, yeah. kind of put you in the right ballpark of how many calories they should probably eat on any given day. So you take right a I her. listen because that's exactly what I've been telling people. So, yeah, you, you yeah, take yeah. someone like like Asco, you know, on a high-volume block, his, right. his basal metabolic rate is still the highest I've ever measured. We actually have one of our GAs here that, that beat him. He's a big, big boy too, big lifter. Um, but down at, at, or up at UWL, excuse me, his was like 2,900, 3,000 was just his resting metabolic rate. So if you're doubling that with an activity factor of two, again, that's 6,000 calories just on a standard higher training or higher volume training block. So those numbers can get pretty high, pretty quick. And even higher if you're talking, Endurance athletes because their energy needs are going to be a lot higher than what you would get from Just a strength and power type athlete because the volume of work that they're doing is just going to be so much more those guys that run 100 miles a week or if they're all biking, you know 200 miles a week That's a lot of calories that they're churning up throughout their training
0: I think I was close, so I at least feel good that I paid somewhat attention while, while you were here. Cause yeah, I think that's the one that we're still – we actually just had a conversation about this, and, you know, like we can kind of dive into it if we do want to move off the energy just a little bit. But, you know, we started talking with some coaches about, you know, food and what's good and what's bad, and per our conversation before we came on air is, you know, not – being afraid of the extremes but also not trying to fit the extremes by that you know and i'm not calling anything extreme everybody but like you know keto diet works for some people does it work for everybody i think we can safely say probably not is it hard to do absolutely right but in certain you know and one of our guests we'll link it up you know michael boris he talked about how it sucked for two weeks to a month but then it was like the switch got flipped and it was like a whole different ball game for him, you know? And so trying to look at those food selections, especially on a college budget, um, you know, is that something that you take a lot into consideration? Cause that's one I've kind of looked at with some of our guys that want to keep eating, but, and get bigger, but don't need that excess weight. So they're trying not to just shovel in, you know, white bread and frozen pizza all day even though they might need to, to just get their calorie needs right yeah and, it, and I think it
1: kinda of depends on what their overall goal is and then second that how they feel on different eating styles so and then again like you said factoring in that they're broke college kids always just complicates right. things so first I usually just try to at least get them close to their energy needs just because most people will probably undereat by almost a thousand calories sometimes um, and upping sometimes the calories that they're eating automatically will just make them feel a little bit better. Like they have a little bit more energy. They seem to recover a little bit better, but then also sometimes kind of again to use the the catchphrase, clean up their diet a little bit and removing right. some of the processed foods, some of the more pro-inflammatory foods that can just create a lot of Systemic inflammation and just other shit probably going on within their body that, from an athlete and their ability to recover, certainly isn't going to help that. And I think that's where people like Boris, you know, you hear from an anecdotal standpoint. You listen to him talk about the keto diet. He said he he could run a marathon and wake up and feel almost great the next day. He just didn't have that same level of soreness and inflammation and right. stuff and. I don't know if there was anything magic about the high fat diet that he was on or the fact that he was just probably removing a lot of irritant or pro inflammatory type foods that created a lot more inflammation on top of his training. So I think that's where you know you start with eating the right amount of calories first, probably set your macronutrient ratio second, and then you know, looking at nutrient quality and the types of foods and things like that. Third, especially if they're looking to manage, you know, body weight or body composition. If those don't matter, if they can eat whatever, not worry about what their weight is, then that hierarchy might change a little bit and they may pay more attention to nutrient quality and getting in more healthful options and selecting more antioxidant-rich foods, you know, less inflammatory foods and things like that, trying to minimize processed foods and those things. If they can afford it, sometimes that's easier said right. than right. Been done with those right. kinds of individuals. But
0: yeah, again, it kind of comes
1: back a- to what their goals are and what they're trying to do.
0: Somebody's pulled out a stat and I don't know where it came from and I got to look it up. But they were saying they did some research and that it was, they found out that like it was a $1 dollar per hundred calories. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out exactly what they were looking at because. <laughs> You know, that's 30 to 50 dollars worth of food a day. Yeah, I can get through my day and eat pretty good for less than 15, right? So, I'm not entirely sure. Now, I might not be putting in 3,000 to 5,000 calories, but it was just like, where are you shopping? But, anywho,
2: why um, do you think that is that they're you know, most people you said are like coming at a thousand calories under like is it, is it just their set point of what they're feeling satisfied with or what is that i i think it, like the high
1: school and collegiate level it's just a little bit of lack of information and then laziness you know you hear them just say oh, i don't really have time to make breakfast or i just i'm not hungry in the morning so i don't eat my first meal until 11 or whatever and then they have a big lunch and then maybe a big dinner and then you know snack a little bit at night or whatever and they just by doing that, you only get—I you know, say only—it sounds like a lot, but they may only be able to get, you know, three thousand calories in if they're lucky that way. And if they're a big enough athlete training hard enough, that just isn't going to be enough. But for the general population who do that, that's overeating in their world, and that's why you know right. people gain weight and are uh, obese and things like that because they eat that way. And in, in their situation, that's way too many calories. But for athletes, that's just there's probably not enough. And I I think, again, most commonly, just my experience, they just are a little bit lazy. I mean, how many athletes would come in for morning workouts and they just hadn't eaten anything yet? And
0: 80%. Yeah,
1: and it's just, I don't know if they don't care, they're too lazy, whatever. They just just don't. And then I think female athletes tend to just be a little bit more worrisome that they're going to overeat. So they kind of do it as more of a, out of fear or out of precaution of gaining weight and looking fat and again they just under eat i think for more of that reason mm-hmm. than uh than the laziness or lack of information but that's just that's kind of what,
0: what's seen you know that's one thing we've tried to spin is you know we tried to destigmatize the protein shake in the spc specifically you know if you get don't get you know one of ours, I won't say what, unless they want to sponsor. Um, but it's 26 grams of protein and like 280 calories. Like you aren't going to get big off of that. Right? Like it's a recovery drink. It is it, and the same, and to the same side for our athletes that are trying to get bigger and stronger. Like you won't get bigger and stronger off of just that. Like you have to think about more And so we've tried to really just spin it as more recovery than necessarily performance, which you could obviously tie in together. Uh, But then also on the women's side, you know, it didn't occur to me until I started getting more into the nutrition stuff of like, you know, we were so big in so many places about, well, if they're feeling tired and they're feeling fatigued, it's got to be their iron. It has to be. Their iron levels are low. That's the only thing to do it. And then just more and more taking a step back, it's like, well, are they even putting in the amount of energy needed to function at the levels that they want to function at? Like they might, like you kind of talked about already, just they're not burning enough fuel or they're burning so much and then they're not replacing it. So then, of course, they're going to be tired and fatigued and things aren't going to go well because I got nothing to go on. Right. It doesn't matter if your iron levels are through the roof because we've had that, too, where it was like... <clears throat> hemoglobin hematocrit were great ferritin levels up above what we want them to yet they still felt that way well then it's got to be their thyroid has to be and you know we're just going down this rabbit hole and we never even step back to the basics of looking at nutrition and i will plead ignorance because i didn't know nearly what i do now and that's you know after knowing you and kevin schultz and just kind of tying more of that stuff in but you know so much back to just that basic like let's pause it here like let's not find the one little minute thing when we haven't even looked at the bigger picture
2: right
1: nutrition and i'm sure sleep across the board is another thing absolutely athletes are completely deficient and so you clean those two things up they're pretty cheap low-cost therapies and bam you instantly have a a more well-performing well-rested well-recovered athlete with just getting and eat a little bit more and sleep a little bit more
2: Easier Kyle, I was going to throw it and ask yeah.
0: you because I know you have been looking at a lot of, you know, anti and you talk about it quite a bit, like anti inflammatory, like diets and whatnot. And, you know, the one that I kind of recommended for some of ours and AJ, feel free to or both of you feel free to shoot me down. I still from Tim Ferriss, which we've stolen plenty from um, like the 30 grams of protein, 30 minutes within 30 minutes, or at least that's what you have for breakfast if you're trying to potentially like lean out but not decrease performance so you're still able to let your body recover but you're not pumping in a bunch of you're not eating pop tarts or a granola bar but you're able to get that protein in you so your body can continue to be in that kind of anabolic state uh, which we could get into a whole nother conversation on as well but decrease some of that blood sugar spike potentially or that inflammation at least first thing in the morning until you kind of get up and moving for the day I don't yeah know. I, I
1: think it would all depend on what if they do have like a morning workout or what whatever their morning looks like True. if they don't have everything for the afternoon yeah they could probably eat whatever in the morning and they'll be fine um,
0: but yeah i agree with you in the morning you're obviously going to want something to run off of
2: then- i could see too if they're wanting get a lot of protein in throughout the day it's a good place to start i mean if you're looking at getting those requirements and and you don't get 30 grams in in the morning or you, you skip that meal then you got to try to cram that all in like aj said you know and two two meals later try to fit it in with snacks or you know even a third smaller meal or something i think it just makes it a lot easier
1: mm-hmm and that's good for the people that just don't feel hungry in the morning, because that's a lot of a lot of people out there as well. They just wake up and for whatever reason don't have an appetite. So, yeah, most people could handle a 20 gram shake or bar or whatever right, just right. to get some low calorie protein in.
2: It's probably easier, in my opinion, to to drink that than eat it. You know, oh, for if you, don't sure. have it, you can just chug it down and not exactly. a big deal.
1: As opposed to me, who literally gets out of bed because I'm hungry. <laughs>
2: I, <laughs> I went full circle. I a day want, a day. <laughs> like,
0: if I didn't eat anything for breakfast, I felt nauseous. Like the re- until I ate something, like I thought I just was gonna go down. And now <laughs> I may not eat till dinner some days, just because I'm not hungry. Yeah, I, that has gotten
1: different for me with as I get older too. I'm I'm not nearly as needy. Of Food in the morning as I used to be especially if I was going to work out. There's no way I could have done it on an empty stomach Earlier and I, I don't know if that's through age or I've just improved my metabolic flexibility a little bit through right. more strategic eating, but Yeah, I can get away with it now, and I certainly couldn't have 10 years ago
0: Well not to dive too far down this rabbit hole as we kind of are um, kind of steering back Um you referenced and I can never remember, but what is your typical look at in terms of like macronutrient breakdown percentages um, for an athlete and how does that vary? We work kind on of obviously talking about protein and whatnot, but where, where do you look for in an ideal situation?
1: If you're going if you're going percent wise, I usually go around f- for the kind of g- general athlete, I'd say 50-ish percent carbohydrates, 30 percent fats, and 20 percent protein Okay. on a percentage basis. And then depending on really their bioenergetic requirements, if they're much more reliant on carbohydrates for their sport, then maybe going higher with carbohydrates and vice versa if they don't really ever – Get close to glycogen depletion. Just don't really burn through a lot of carbs through training or competition Then you could steal away from carbohydrates and add in more protein or or fats or whatever They almost tend to just prefer so if you're doing percent basis, that's usually how I would approach it But usually I'll I'll start with more of a relative recommendation so usually proteins the one I start with first and again kind of operate on a sliding scale if they're more of a strength power athlete or trying to put on a lot of muscle, then I'll go closer to about two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight.
0: I was going to ask how that, if that had shifted at all from the recent review, you know, that's out or if that's been kind of your go-to.
1: Yeah. Still around that, that particular number. And then on a lower end, if it's maybe more of an endurance athlete, maybe at 1.4, 1.6 grams per kilogram. So I'll set that one first and then, depending on what their calorie needs are, then I'll look to, again, fats or or carbohydrates, kind of whatever their higher nutrient priority may happen to be. So if they're like a cross-country runner or something, I would certainly make sure they're getting enough carbohydrates in would be my next go-to nutrient of emphasis and then kind of fill in the remaining with fats. Whereas if they're a a thrower, a shot putter, you know, they wouldn't really it wouldn't necessarily matter how many carbs they were getting as long as they were probably getting enough protein and fats and then overall calories. So carbohydrates could kind of be a wild card in that particular situation. For sure. So usually kind of you you can approach it either way, the percent basis or more of a, a relative
0: amount. Kyle, you got anything? Sorry, I've been talking a lot.
2: No, <laughs> it's all good. I I'm just listening along for the ride. I, I I'm taking in all of information. It's always good to be too. So,
1: and then I think another thing that I've learned to appreciate more is just people's food preferences and what they like oh, more sure, of, sure. and just ensure them that you know, getting wrapped up in the numbers. As long as you're pretty close, it's it's probably going to be good enough for most people, unless they're a bodybuilder and they literally have to zero in on body fat percent or if they're a wrestler and they have to make weight in order to compete then you can get much more picky and, and dig into the numbers a lot more than uh, again a, a football player things like that they have so much more of a buffer in terms of hitting macronutrient numbers exactly and things like that it's like if you're eating enough to, to maintain your body weight through season you're getting probably enough protein to maintain lean body mass and strength and things like that throughout the season as long as you feel fine and stuff like that you're probably getting enough of the right things that you need but if you're losing weight throughout the season if you're losing strength and your muscles going down you're probably not eating enough you're probably not getting enough protein in and you're slowly just getting the shit kicked out of you throughout the season and you wonder why you're, you're beat up and and just don't have it towards the end of a long season so you can use body weight and strength as a pretty good indicator of whether or not you're getting enough just energy and enough of the right nutrients. Because so you just have
2: feel usually, or do you typically? I guess sometimes you have them start tracking just to kind of get the feel for where they're at, and then just go off of that once they kind of get the hang of it.
1: Yeah, I, I think teaching them how to track it. Even though I know they're not going to do it correctly, still helps because it'll just make them more aware and conscious about choices that they make throughout the day. Of oh, geez, I didn't realize I only eat this much, or right. geez, I didn't realize that dinner at Applebee's was fifteen hundred calories, and you know, seventy percent of it was fat and stuff like that, like that blooming onion. You know, just examples like that. So it just makes people pay more attention to those things, but. Again, that's why I say don't get wrapped up in the numbers because you can pretty much guarantee they're not going to do it 100% correctly anyway. But mm-hmm. again, as long as they're a physique competitor, someone like someone who's absolutely getting judged on what they look like or what they weigh, it's not that mm-hmm. big of a deal, I don't think.
0: Yeah, that's one we've tried to incorporate. Like, I, I can't preach to somebody to track their food because I won't do it. I don't have the patience. Like I don't, it just, I, for whatever reason, I can't get over that. But what I've tried to do is when we have those talks is like, give me two normal quotes weekdays and a quote normal weekend day of what your food intake looks like and make it stuff that you typically would eat. So just as a simple example, like if you're a chicken and rice person, but you don't want to eat chicken and rice for dinner for the next six months. Well, if we know about how much chicken and how much rice you're eating, we can kind of just substitute it out for something that's very similar, yeah. You know, like a pasta and pick another protein. That is it going to be exactly the same? No, I get it. But if we're with, at least within the ballpark, you can know that you're staying within something and not stress out about it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the way that we've gone, and it that seems to help get rid of some of the like apprehension of needing yeah. to track because some people get really into it. Other people like me, I, I just won't, I, I just don't. Well, and I, and I did
1: when I was learning about it, I, I was religious about it. I played the math game and I would stress out about getting everything right on. And then the more I learned about how much variability there is with both <laughs> assessing energy in and assessing energy out, I was like, well, what the hell's the point? There's, there's going to be variation off on both ends of the spectrum. So there's no point in trying to hit dead on with your macros and stuff like that. As long as you're, you're pretty close. And then most people tend to be pretty habitual eaters, not the the best way to eat. um, You know, obviously it's better to eat more diverse if you can, but people just don't. They, they usually buy the same things on a weekly shopping trip, cook relatively the same 10 or 12 meals or whatever. And so if you track that once or twice, you know what that meal or variants of it, like you said, probably look like. So again, you can set people up for a pretty good success just because of the habits that they tend to have, just making sure they're the right ones before they get into those routines. Right.
2: Hmm. Because so, uh, And again, going
1: back to that example of just, Assessing body weight, that's your best indicator of whether or not you're eating enough. If you're steadily losing weight throughout a season You're not you're in an energy deficiency You're you're going to be losing weight because of that and vice versa if you're gaining weight Obviously you're eating too much. So if your weight's stable, that's at least means you're pretty close And then you can look at body composition wise If that's changing in the wrong direction, then you can look at macronutrient ratios and and kind of address those changes that way if that makes sense definitely because a lot of the football guys were having that problem they were just losing weight like lose like seven pounds throughout the season so clearly not eating enough
2: sure
0: they
1: are on the now i believe it is the
0: two dozen and ten dollar plan so they have to eat Two dozen eggs and ten dollars worth of frozen pizza at minimum a week, um, as like their baseline, and then they fill in the rest of it from there.
1: Who came so, up with, with that plan?
0: I'll get. I'll give you one guess, and he's not on the strength staff. <laughs> Jeez. I don't know. Yeah, you, I don't know if that, I don't would know if that a was a joke or not, but I was just like, oh, I don't want to put it past people.
1: Well, I know Schultz would always say, you know, like the eighty-twenty rule, right? So eighty percent of the things you eat, try to make them whole foods, minimally processed, you know, low ingredient profiles, and then twenty percent, sure, whatever you need to get, to get your sweet tooth fixed or, you know, get your calories in at the end of the day, that's fine. While they're young, they can tolerate those things better. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> Get away with that. Yeah. Where up people are gaining weight, but they're not getting enough calories. What's that? Do you ever see where people are gaining weight, but not getting enough calories? Yeah. I was going no, to
0: I- ask about metabolic syndrome, you know, the skinny fat. Like, I thought I've read something the other day. Like, is that, like, truly a real thing? Or is uh, Dr. and I'm going to screw up his last name, the doc that lifts guy. Uh, Spencer Nadolsky, that guy. Uh, yeah,
1: I was gonna say. Funny you asked that question because Precision Nutrition just posted an article titled "Like is it possible to gain weight if I'm not eating enough?" I think that was really the name of it. That might I might have seen that too. And they kind of walked through. I think I shared it on Instagram. They walked through that scenario and how people think that's happening, but in reality, they're just kind of misinterpreting what they're actually eating and then also what their
2: energy expenditure is. So So I think they're, they think they're not getting as many calories as what they actually are.
1: Right. So you, it's not possible to under eat and gain weight, but it's possible to under eat and get fatter. So you can not be eating enough and you can lose lean body mass and if you're doing that, your body fat percent is going to go up and up and up because your ratio of lean mass to your body weight is changing if you're losing muscle. so That's usually what happens, again, kind of going back to that skinny fat scenario is people think they're not eating, or they think they're on this really, really low calorie diet. I don't get it. I should be losing weight. It's like, well, you kind of are, but you're just losing the wrong kinds of weight and your your body composition is just changing in the wrong direction. So. And from an aesthetic standpoint, it's not going to be in your favor. And,
2: and ultimately,
1: like we talked about this in weight loss 101, it's like people think that they want to lose weight, but in reality, they just want to look like they did. They want to look better. They want to look leaner. If you could teach them that, that's probably more so what they'd be like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that's what I wanted. I just want my clothes to fit better. I want to look better in a swimsuit. And I want to have a six pack. It's like you can do all those things without even losing a pound. You can just change you know the type of tissue that you have, and change your body composition. And
0: so we need to uh, we need to do a, do a recomposition one on one. course, I mean that sounds good, yeah. right? Cause, yeah, so- like speaking speaking for a friend, a guy I know. Um, <laughs> I was kind of wondering some of that stuff too, and like they didn't always work out as many times as their coach wanted them to, and they definitely weren't doing stuff on their off days. Yet weren't getting the results and maybe still aren't that they were looking for, but probably just like you said, we're not, we're over consuming more than they thought they were with probably not a energy expenditure that was as high as they hoped it would be right. without actually knowing it. That's why again, body
1: weight's always going to be your best indicator of whether or not you're eating enough or if you're eating too
0: much, however, you but can they kept also- getting stronger. So
1: Let's see, and again, that's what whatever your goals are. If you're not a weight class athlete, then do what you got to do to get stronger and feel better. But if you're trying to get better health insurance policy and they look at you, <laughs> Okay,
0: can we just say that the wellness scores are BS because they go off of BMI? Can we yeah. just throw that out there? Morbidly
1: obese. I've been obese since I was like 15, according to that thing.
0: Right. Um, a scenario for you, if you're up for it, I uh, didn't want to get this too late for all of us, but, um, I think it kind of ties into everything we were talking about, you know, and the specific athlete, uh, sprinter male, um, had tracked probably 17 to 1900 calories like max, um, just eating, uh, not happy with body composition performance, very up and down some days feel great some days feel not good um you know we did the equations and figured out probably somewhere where they need to be eating in the upper 2000s like minimum and my guess is it's probably higher than that um but didn't want to necessarily jump from the 1900 they were eating up to you know going up a thousand calories a day um just per how their body might react to that in terms of feeling um touch base with them a little bit you know recently reference that we're going to be having this conversation so no pressure um but just looking for like a better answer for them um they said they had some result some success for a couple days and then it just kind of felt like it tailed off
1: well, to put this into context, we just finished a study this spring with our women's lacrosse team on campus, and we had them wearing these certain straps that can calculate energy expenditure twenty-four-seven throughout the day. So okay. we did that, and we kind of presented team averages, and you know, your typical female lacrosse player is, i don't know, five, five-six-ish, probably one hundred and twenty-ish pounds—female lacrosse girl. Little cross player, five, well, maybe up to 130 pounds. I mean,
0: they're yeah.
1: somewhere within that range, but I would think probably smaller than the male sprinter, or yep. you know, at least not bigger than it. And based on their in-season measurements, their typical daily energy expenditure was about 3,400 calories.
0: Dang! Uh,
1: so I, I just. I I see that data that we just presented last week on on campus at a little student research conference and then I think of this male Sprinter only eating 1900 calories that's almost half of this women's lacrosse calorie needs so it's like yeah they got to eat up no wonder they're not feeling well
0: performing well so then kind of back and I don't know anything on like strength numbers or like how their performance truly is in terms of like times or anything but kind of back to what we were just talking about is potentially with that undereating and we don't have body comp on them. So I can't relate it back to anything, but that's probably maybe where we're even struggling is that even though their weights meaning maintaining, maybe we're dropping some actual muscle mass. Yeah. It's, it's probably going one, happy with how they're looking necessarily right. because they're under eating.
1: Yeah. It's probably going up quite a bit. And then what can happen if you're chronically under eating and what will kind of happen is your energy expenditure side of our energy balance, you know, scale that we always get, eventually your energy expenditure kind of becomes suppressed a little bit. And there's a really nice review article in international society sport nutrition. They, they talk about this metabolic adaptation quite a bit. And it's like your body has constantly kind of been forced into this, starvation-ish mode right? but it's forced your body to become so much more efficient with your energy so that you just expend less calories throughout the day because you force yourself to be more efficient so from a survival standpoint and an evolutionary standpoint that's good that would keep you alive and on earth longer but when you're trying to manipulate body weight and body composition all those kinds of things there it's kind of problematic so from that standpoint we always want to be I guess, inefficient so that we just burn more calories and, you know, help us lose weight and stay lean. So if you're chronically kind of under eating like that, I think that's a lot what happens. So you almost have to go through like a refeed type of diet protocol. I don't know if you've ever okay. heard, heard that phrase before.
0: A little bit, and that was going to be my next question is, you know, the generals of what you would suggest if that's truly where we are, which based on what you kind of defined it as, so it wouldn't shock me that we are. Wayne Norton talks about it a
1: lot and he uses it a lot with his physique competitors to get them out of like a competition kind of diet phase. So sense. obviously they've gone through an extreme cut. They're very, very lean about as lean as they can get. And then he puts them or will sometimes kind of go through a a refeed or almost like the opposite of a diet where you kind of go step step up. Um, in terms of what their daily calories are to slowly increase calorie intake and then you kind of slowly mis- restore Metabolic function a little bit and that can kind of help build up their metabolism a little bit and they can kind of handle higher higher amounts of food, so it, that's kind of how I would recommend it kind of slowly doing it not all of a sudden going okay one day He eats 1900 and the next day you're giving them 4,000 calories um, which he, he might need to be up that high on some days, depending so on would what you it. say, like
0: 100 calories a day increase, or if you had to kind of put a number to it,
1: yeah, you could probably go more than that, even
0: 150, 200, give or take, to try and get him there within 20 days, yeah. you know, two to three weeks kind of a deal,
1: yeah. And then I think doing like a protein heavier increase would probably okay. help as well,
0: yeah. We talked about that a little bit today, just and again i just i steal this one from you all the time and reference it you know like you've said if you're ever going to overeat let it be protein right for but, all the benefits but,
1: but again he's he's also the type of athlete that's churning through a lot of carbs through his his training he's an anaerobic athlete by nature right I, you know that plus through carbs so he that's where i it gets difficult sometimes working with those kind of people because they'll hear more mainstream diet advice to follow a low-carb diet or something like that If they're trying to stay lean or lose weight, it's like again general public very very different than a sprinter Right uh, who is doing repeat 100s or whatever for their workouts like no one <laughs> With a desk job does that kind of training so they don't they don't need carbs, but that kind of person certainly does so you can't completely eliminate them or cut them down too much because he's going to feel like hell trying to get through those workouts.
0: Perfect. Thank you, boss.
1: We certainly need to do different round tables for each scenario. Don't we? Because it's so different how you would approach it.
0: Oh, definitely. And again, I didn't think we were going to cover all of this and I'm sure we could just make a whole scenario on this and we are, could use some more nutrition episodes as a sidebar. But, um, yeah, I think it's just beneficial to, for people to hear that. You know, even for me, it's just it's either reaffirming or it's confirming. You know, this I, these ideas that are, like you said, it's you hear so much mainstream, but per conversations we've had, is you know what athletes do is in mainstream you know, so you got to find the things that are going to affect that athlete that might be too much for the mainstream person, which is why I didn't want to cross-reference these too much because we could get very confusing result, you know, just conversation on it. But Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, and again, you take, you take people like us who really aren't athletes anymore. Like my personal nutrition hierarchy is completely opposite of what I just said earlier. Like Now I go nutrient quality first and then kind of work my way backwards. And at the end of the day, if I'm not hitting exactly what I need calorie-wise, doesn't really matter. Like at least I got nutritious food in throughout the day and didn't eat shit. And you know, I probably am still pretty close, but I don't have to compete. I'm not really training that hard. I'm not trying to get my body fat percent dead on or whatever i'm i'm just trying to live long you know so it's like yep. i you gotta approach it completely different for different kinds of people
0: yeah leave nice. a little room for beer and pizza
1: yeah exactly that's the benefits of not being an athlete anymore right? <laughs> <laughs> we, paid our, we paid our dues already mm-hmm. do as i say not as i do And then in the other possibility is he, he just thinks he's eating 1,900 calories and he's really not. That yeah. could happen too. For sure. Uh, I just thought it was one serving of peanut butter. Uh huh. No one has one <laughs> serving of peanut butter.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
1: But that's oh. also the, the fun kind of diet advice to give to him, right? You get to eat more. Right. Yeah. Man.
0: Rough life, dude. Yeah.
2: I don't think yeah. too many people would complain about that.
0: Yeah. No kidding. Anywho, any other major topics we want to touch on with this tonight?
1: I don't think so. We'll have to. I'll, I'll send you those articles so we can link up that one that I published on the prediction equations.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: And then the uh, the review article in that journal that talks about metabolic adaptation and they talk about refeeds in there and things like that. It has some good information.
0: Yeah, I'll look that up bit. for my own personal information, but definitely link it up in the show notes. Check yeah. them out, people. We do link all these things up on the website clinicalpress.com. Mm-hmm. I've been a little upset with some other show notes that people were like, oh yeah, I'll put it in there. And then they don't have the stuff in there. And I got to re-listen to the episode to figure out where I'm it was do again. Same
1: thing. I hate it. Oh.
0: So we will be di- diligent in our show notes it's painstaking but we do it because a we want the links and b we want to get them to you guys um
2: by we even joel yeah exactly
0: our work course <laughs> yeah i was trying to share the love guys come on now
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's all good try Credit where your credits do yeah
0: <laughs> oh well, man, on that yeah. note do we want to call this one a wrap
1: i i gotta share a story um Kyle, were you, you were the one out in West Salem when we talked nutrition to those high schoolers, right, or their parents? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. And remember, I gave a little blurb about supplements at the end of it, and they just were not feeling it at all.
0: I didn't know if we wanted to relive this one or not, which is why I didn't bring it up. But
2: <laughs> I don't remember that actually. So maybe I, I
0: remember enough. that you told me you brought up creatine and you thought you were going to get set on fire.
2: Yeah, I had the same thing happen
1: to me this last Saturday at NSCA. In, uh, really? At our state clinic. Because I was talking on pre-workout supplements. And I, he must have been like a high school coach or a trainer for high school athletes or something. And he's like, well, don't you think first we need to improve, you know, like what these high schoolers are eating and things like that before we go getting them hooked on pre-workout supplements and everything? And I was like, well, yeah, that's not – the point of my talk i could do that lecture Mm -hmm. later if you'd like me to i was like Mm -hmm. i'm just talking about pre-workout supplements today and what the research shows so that's another thing that we should probably plug in this talk you know it's like a little thermogenics or other kind of supplements they're not going to help you any more than just dialing in calories and macronutrients are going to
0: i'll ask my question when we're off the air because this could get us down another rabbit hole and i don't want to get it too far so
1: Unless unless it's clenbuterol that that'd probably lean you up a little bit.
0: Yeah, let's let's not <laughs> condone do do that, kids. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, call it an episode.
1: Let's do it. Sounds
2: All good. right. Good well,
1: to have uh, you back, good said,
0: to be back, boys. Oh, great to have you.
2: Thank you for
1: checking out this episode of Clinically Press. Go to clinicallypress.com for full show notes and links to everything that was covered in this episode. While you're there, you have access to all of our episodes, insights, and shorts. You can find Clinically Press on YouTube and any other podcast outlet. If you could give us a rating, thumbs up, or review on how we are doing, we would greatly appreciate it. To get more free content delivered to your inbox, sign up for Total Athletic Therapy Newsletter. You'll get direct links to all Clinically Pressed episodes, reviews on some of the latest research in health and performance and links to related podcasts and other items meant to help you make the complicated, simple, and optimized performance. Thank you for listening, and see you next episode.